did the lesson, and in this case, we have one of our own members, one of the members of the class, Tom Knight. Uh, he's going to be giving the second in a lesson of, about Hebrew. And uh, Tom's a long-standing member of the class, uh, one of the very active members, not only of the class, but of the church as well. Uh, please welcome Tom to the second lesson.
What's the first thing that comes to mind? Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo's picture on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. If you could keep that in mind through the lesson, we'll tie it all together. But think about uh, the story of the Bible being man reaching down from heaven to man. God reaching down to man. And then, on the other hand, man reaching up to God. Uh, last week we spent a lot of time, as, we, uh, as I have already mentioned, proving or describing the way Hebrews proves that Christ, the new covenant, is superior to um, the old covenant. Um, we talked about the, uh, the reference to the uh, 110th Psalm, which talks about Christ being of the order of Melchizedek, and how Melchizedek is that mysterious character in um, the book of Genesis that predates Abraham. Um, this place type Christ, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of the New Covenant, ahead of the law of Moses. And that was the final step that uh, the, the author of Hebrews went through in proving the supremacy of Christ over the Old Testament characters. Keep in mind also that Psalms that predicted the coming of the New Covenant, Psalm 110, was written about a thousand years before the time of Christ. So the idea of the New Covenant should not have been strange to the Hebrew people. It's been in Psalms for thousands of years. Um, the book of, of Hebrews, the author also reminds them that the New Covenant was predicted in the book of Jeremiah. And we didn't get there last Sunday, and I'd like to uh, read from Jeremiah where he predicts the... Um, uh, the coming of the new covenant. Jeremiah was printed, was uh, written about 600 years before the time of Christ. This is quoted uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, verbatim out of Jeremiah, and this is the way it reads. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and have turned away from them. That's the reason from, for the new covenant. This is the new covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I'm going to stop just a minute. Putting them in their minds and in their hearts is as opposed to written down on tablets of stone. The Old Covenant was, of course, written um, on, in the Ten Commandments, presented to Moses, so it was written in stone. The New Covenant, covenant as predicted in Jeremiah, will be written on our hearts. I will put my law on their minds and write them on my heart on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Sounds familiar. That's what he said before. No longer will man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, for the least of them, from, or from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. So, 
Uh, the author of Hebrews reminds the, uh, his congregation in this letter that the coming of the new covenant was predicted in, by Jeremiah and in a very precise way. He goes through a lot of proof here about why Christ is superior to the high priest that they had known about and from uh, their, their Hebrew history and the whole co covenant law. Uh, Christ is a new high priest. He's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the old priest, Christ doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, year after year, because he was sinless. There's no reason for Christ to be uh, presenting daily sacrifices for his sins because Christ was sinless. Under the old law, the priests were selected on the basis of their heredity, uh, their uh, lineage. Um, no matter how scandalous they were, if you were of the house of Aaron, you were qualified to be a priest. Christ is appointed as the Son of God forever and ever. Makes that point very clear. The Old Testament law involves sacrifices, and he refers to them, blood sacrifices of uh, bulls and goats. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Under the New Covenant, the sacrifice that Christ presented is his own blood. And he wraps it up by saying, make me this point, under the old law, sacrifices were presented in a temple made by man. That was uh, the temple, that was Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. Um, and presented one time a year, but the temple was made by man. Christ's temple is in heaven, far superior to anything that could be made by man. Um, I wrapped things up last week in reading one of the dramatic scriptures from Hebrews. I want to do that again because I, I wanted to use it last week to wrap up that lesson. Um, but it actually got a little bit ahead of myself as far as the sequence in scripture is concerned, so I need to add it again. This is what he says about the, uh, the concluding step in his argument about the uh, new covenant, covenant being superior to the old. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most highly placed by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, and since we have a great high priest, that is, Jesus Christ, over the house of God, let us draw near to God, with a sincere heart and in full assurance of faith, having had our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswerving to the hope we profess, for he who promised it is faithful. Um, and then he goes into the definition of what is faith, and this is very, very familiar. The author of Hebrews is, gives us this definition. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Very familiar words. It's interesting when you look at that same description, the same scripture in the message translation. Um, the message translation is sort of a direct today's English. It sort of hits you between the eyes, perhaps, more than the old scripture that we're more familiar with. 
This is what the, the translation in the Message Bible is. The fundamental fact of existence is that trust in God is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth the living. Doesn't that really mean something to you? The fundamental fact of existence is that faith in God is the foundation upon everything that makes life worth the living. It's our handle on what we cannot see. Um, William Barclay uh, goes a little bit further uh, to talk about faith. William Barclay says, Faith is belief in God against the world. Faith is belief in a spirit we cannot see rather than some physical things that we can see, touch, and feel. Faith is belief in the future rather than the present. It's confidence, absolute certainty in the promises of God. Absolute certainty in the promises of God. Um, life might be easy if we had that kind of faith. Um, but all of us, because of the ups and downs in life, sometimes see our faith shaken a little bit. Sometimes we have periods of doubt. There's no uh, no getting around that. We're human beings. We're that way. It's so reassuring to come back and read Scripture. And as I wrap up this lesson today, you'll see how reassuring it can be and how fundamental the message in Hebrews is. Okay. After talking about the definition of faith, the author of Hebrews goes through 15 individual examples beginning with the book of Genesis, beginning with creation, to talk about 15 people in the Old Testament that demonstrated their strong faith in God. He lists Abraham and Moses and all the way through. Interesting enough, the last one he, he, he lists is a prostitute, uh, Rahab. If you remember the story, Rahab was the one that um, hid the spies when the Israel, before the Israelites came into the land, the promised land, they sent spies ahead of them to scope out the land, to see what the territory was like, to see how uh, strong the resisting forces were. And Rahab, this prostitute, hid them because the, the people that were already there had heard that these spies were coming, and they were out to get them. And the, the prostitute Rahab had enough faith to hide these people and allow them to escape and go back to the Hebrews. It's interesting that all of these examples are what have been familiar to the Hebrew people. They're all stories in the, uh, in the Old Testament. It's sort of like um, he's given them this great example of how the, uh, the New Covenant, the New Testament, the story of Christ, is far superior to anything in the old, but still he's going back and saying to them, yes, but you did have some very faithful Hebrews, faithful um, people there, heroes in the, uh, the, the Old Testament. And then he comes through with this dramatic conclusion after he's going through all of that proof. He talks about a, a great cloud of witnesses, and these are the 15 people that he's identified. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race, race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, great, dramatic conclusion to his story of faith. Therefore, since we have all of these witnesses before us, let us strengthen ourselves and be prepared for another round of persecution which was coming. The, Hebrew, the, the timing of the book of Hebrews around 70 uh, AD is right after the uh, persecution at the hands of Nero in, in Rome, but just before the second round of persecution that was to follow and was anticipated at the time the book was written. So this scripture gives them the reassurance to keep their faith in the time of persecution which is to follow. Um, he goes on further. He talks in detail about how to fulfill their faith. And I'm not going into that because I want to jump ahead to a very important conclusion. If you want to read those details, they're, 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 they're interesting, they're easy to understand and read. Um, I want to, to share with you uh, some of my reflections on the book of Hebrews. And I'd like for you to keep in mind that, uh, uh, that image the thought pattern that we talked about earlier, the image of God reaching down to man and man reaching up to God. Um, to me, the amazing story in the book of Hebrews is not so much the new covenant. Those of us who are Christians today are familiar with the new covenant. We live with it all of our lives. We, we understand that part. To the Hebrews, it was a, a revelation. It was amazing. So this was very important to them, perhaps more so than it is to us. To me, the amazing story in Hebrews is the linkage that goes back from the New Covenant back into the Old Covenant. The quotes in, um, in the book of Psalms, the reference to the order of Melchizedek, the quotes in, in Jeremiah there that tell about how uh, the, the coming of the New Covenant was forecasted 600 years earlier than it actually happened. Now, these things are amazing, but a lot of uh, books in the New Testament also have fulfillment of prophecy. And um, if, you're, if you're interested, we'll be having a class um, later on in the fall about the fulfillment of these prophecies. It won't be in this class, it'll be in a separate, separate uh, didn't you? Um, but Hebrews is not unique in quoting the fulfillment of the uh, prophecies in the Old Testament. The thing that is so unique about the book of Hebrews, and to me the amazing message of Hebrews, is the reference to uh, Melchizedek, because this goes all the way back to Genesis. This goes back to the beginning of time, and he makes the linkage very clear from the beginning of time in Genesis, really before the creation of the Hebrew nation, when Abraham was first beginning his journey, before he was told by God that he would be blessed and be the creator of the foundation, the, uh, the origin of a new nation, before that time, he met with a high priest called Belshazzar that told him that he would uh, he would receive a, a blessing that he uh, would, would receive did receive this blessing 
from Belshazzadak. Tying that linkage from there back to the coming of the new covenant really is dramatic to me because it tells me that the new covenant was in place even before the old covenant began, even before the beginning of time. It's the assurance to me that God had a plan in place, old covenant and new covenant, before any of it began. God had a plan in place. It's, it's a message that human existence is not some work of nature. It's not some willy-nilly occurrence that happened because of, of, of evolution. It may have happened because of a level of evolution, but it was all a plan laid out by God. Just this past week, we, we talked about the scientists in Europe that have identified the most minute particle that uh, they think might have been the clue to the very first step of the existence of the universe. Um, and I'm thrilled by that. I'm, I, every advance in science to me is, is a step in the right direction. I think God wants that. At the same time, we've got to ask the question, who put the article, the particle there to begin with? Where did it all begin? And the story in Hebrews gives me the assurance that it all began with God, and that God did have a plan. We're a part of that plan today. Now, did that, the tragedy that happened in Aurora, Colorado, was that a part of God's plan? I don't think so. No. I think that God's plan for us is bigger than that. And there are all kinds of little details that we get involved with. And because of the evil nature within our minds, and because some of us are sick, we do have tragedies like happened in Aurora, Colorado. Not according to God's plan, because God's plan is bigger than that. Um, we talked about faith. And I think that uh, faith, because we're human, requires reassurance occasionally. And as I've read and studied preparing for this lesson, I got a great deal of reassurance from the, the, the book of Hebrews because of the assurance that God does have a plan and that we are a part of the plan and if we are faithful to him, the plan, plan will follow through to the final triumph of justice. We talked about a new covenant. We talked about the old covenant. Will there be a third covenant? Yeah, I think it will. That's going to be the coming of Christ. And he's promised that. Just like in Jeremiah, they were promised a new covenant. Christ, Christ has promised us that he will return. And to me, that is the final covenant. That's the final truth that we've all been searching for. If you'll think about that mental image that I talked about, God reaching down, man reaching up, when the fingers touch, that will be our covenant. That's the third covenant. And it has been promised. And we can be faithful. God has promised it. He will not let us down. Um, the book of Hebrews closes with a benediction that I'd like to use as a closing prayer. And uh, this is the way it goes. Pray with me. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor forever and ever. 
Amen. Thank you very much.